a reading from Psalm 22. And just a note, these words were written by King David some 1,000 years before the time of Christ. And yet through these words, the Messiah speaks as if he is hanging from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? O my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, in you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I, I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by my father, by the people. All who seek me or or all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, many strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord... Do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. The Passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. John, the 19th chapter. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to Jesus saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man! When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? 
Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all, unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. And so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. And so they took Jesus and went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. 
For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, They will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was the disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and alloys, about 75 pounds in weight. And so they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. It is finished. Three words in the English language, one word in Greek, telestai. What more needs to be said? It's like a period at the end of a novel, the last sentence of a novel. Since God's prediction that Satan would be crushed by one of Adam and Eve's descendants, history has been cascading towards this moment. Generation after generation anticipated this cosmic clash. God orchestrated the rise and the fall of nations and world leaders as he directed history to that moment. God protected a remnant of people through whom his promise would be fulfilled. The sacrifices of lambs and goats and bulls prefigured the sacrifice of the lamb who would be slain once and for all. Prophets prophesied in graphic detail the events as they would unfold in the life of the Savior of the world. And now history culminates in Jesus' matter-of-fact statement, to tell us die, it is finished. But what is finished? The taunting ceases. The agony vanishes. The sadness of abandonment and rejection is silenced. The arms and the limbs and the legs grow limp. The heart stops beating. The lamb is slain. God's son dies. The death of God's son means that the serpent's head is crushed. It means that grace overwhelms sin. It means that love conquers evil. It means that the veil of sin separating God from man is torn in two. God is reconciled to man. Man's redemption is paid in full. It's undeserved but God freely pardons. Death's sting is removed. Jesus holds now the keys of Hades and hell. The gates of heaven are open wide. It is finished. It's not a moan of a defeated man, nor the sigh of resignation. It's the declaration of a victor the satisfied recognition of a son who's now completed the work that his father had sent him to do. And one can almost hear his father say, this is my beloved son, and with him I am well pleased. 
And like someone who has expended all of his energy on a wearisome but very satisfying project and then flops himself down on a bed to exhausted, Jesus lays down his head to rest. He dismisses his spirit and he falls into the deep sleep of death. It is finished. The angels weep with sorrow that God's justice meant that his own son had to die. The angels weep with relief that the cosmic battle of all battles is over. The angels weep with joy because it really is finished. It is finished. Dread and alarm reverberate into the very depths of hell itself. The hellish fiends thought victory was so certain. It was like they were up five points over the opposition with point one second remaining on the clock, and yet Jesus snatches victory from the jaws of defeat. The serpent is crushed and shackled. His minions shake in fear and trepidation of the gloom and the doom of eternal agony that awaits them. To tell us die. It is finished. And with that, Jesus bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. Period. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Period. To tell us We are redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to us by our forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but by the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Period. Patelestai. It is finished. But you, you, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. You have been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now, now, you have received mercy, period. To Palestine, it is finished. And yet, with Jesus' death, so many things are now set in motion in our lives. I mean, do we not weep with the women under the cross with the realization that we were there when they crucified our Lord because it was our sins that nailed Jesus to the cross? Do we not repent with St. Peter for the times that we denied knowing him? Do we not pray the thief's prayer, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom? Do we not believe and confess with the centurion, surely this man is the Son of God? And do we not find that love flows from our hearts for the one who has saved us? Do we not rejoice that we live in undeserved grace, that the debt of our sin is paid in full, that God is at peace with us? Do we not resolve to know nothing while we live except Jesus Christ and Him crucified? And do we not approach death with a certain level of calm and confidence, knowing that Jesus has already passed from death to life? And do we not heed our Savior's invitation? To deny ourselves and to take up our cross and to follow Him? 
Do we not find ourselves submitting to God and resisting the devil's temptations, knowing that the devil will flee from us? And do we not persevere and press on in life, even when we feel like quitting, when we're so discouraged and disappointed and pessimistic, when our life is filled with trials and troubles, one after another? And we don't give up because we know that our Savior did not quit, even though he had every reason to do so. And therefore, we press on. We press on to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of us. And do we not love as he loves us? Do we not forgive as he forgives us? Do we not sacrifice as he sacrifices? Do we not serve as he is served? Do we not anticipate being dressed in robes made of white and made white in the blood of the Lamb and joining our voices in song with angels and archangels with all the company of heaven singing, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, and to the Lamb who was slain for the sins of the world. Truth be told, we may find ourselves answering no to most of these questions that I just asked. And thus, we confess daily, as we did earlier in the service, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me, Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me but restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. To the repentant who prays such a prayer, to you and to me there really is, o- there is really only one really consoling word. And that consoling word is the word that Jesus spoke from the cross when he said, to tell us die. It is finished. Period. What more needs to be said? Amen.